Thanks for tuning in to Strap on Your Boots. I'm your host, Jason Sherman. I'm a successful entrepreneur, award-winning filmmaker, and a guest lecturer at top universities along with Udemy for my course, Startup Essentials. In today's episode of Startup Journey, I'm interviewing Paige Price, the producing artistic director of the Philadelphia Theater Company. Hi, Paige. Thanks for coming on my show today. Thanks for having me. The first question I think my listeners will want to know is how you actually got hired by the Philadelphia Theater Company and why they hired you. I got hired by a search committee who was looking for someone to do a turnaround. I had come from a theater in Aspen, Colorado, which uh, I took over. Actually, I made the, the launch from actress to producing artistic director there, which is kind of an unlikely transition, but I did a turnaround at that theater as well. And so after about nine seasons there, I was headhunted for this job. So you were, you were an actress back in Colorado, and what kind of uh, productions were you acting in? Well, actually, I was a Broadway actress for several years. I lived in New York, and I went to Aspen to do an acting job. And while I was there, they were firing their artistic director, so they asked me for help because they knew that I had a big network of people that I knew. And so... And you, um, and you had Broadway experience, which correct. they probably didn't have there. Correct, correct. And I was also the vice president of the Actors' Union, so I knew, uh, I just knew a lot of people. And I had done some producing, but, you know, event, mostly event work. And then as it turned out, it was a very Dick Cheney kind of thing. I ultimately became, uh, they offered it to me, and it was not something <laughs> I even looked Oh, my for. God. Yeah. So it was really an experience-based thing. They found your experience, what they needed here, and, and here you are in my hometown. So yeah, yeah. glad you're here. My whole life has kind of been like that, actually. That's cool. Yeah. That's good. So the theater company in Aspen was smaller than this one. What was the difference between running the small one there and this larger one here in Philadelphia? I think the biggest difference is that in Aspen, we were the only theater of note. Uh, there were several nonprofits and several cultural institutions. And so the summer festival season was bonkers, crazy, busy. So we had to fight for market visibility there. But here, we are one of maybe 30 theaters that uses professional actors. So that that's the biggest sizable difference is differentiating ourselves in the market. The other big difference is uh, the venue. We had a very small venue that was very flexible in Aspen. And here we have you know, a multi-million dollar state-of-the-art theater on Avenue of the Arts. And so the economics are vastly different. Yeah, this theater is actually, I, I was just looking around. It's beautiful the way it's set up. What does it hold? About 500 people? Less than that. It's uh, 362. 362. Mm -hmm. But you also have the outside, which holds people too, mm -hmm. if you need to. So tell me a little bit about the financial business model of both Aspen and here in Philadelphia, the differences. And I think I can't talk about the difference in model without talking about the difference in philanthropy. And in Aspen, of course, uh, there's great wealth. There's a great source of wealth. And it is, a, it is a vacation destination. And so the vibe there is just different. And you can make a case to a lot of the people there who have, there's a joke that you either have three jobs or three homes in Aspen. Um, <laughs> we, we, we entertained the people with three homes and drew money from the people with three homes. Because we, we were looking for people who would also want to take their families and their guests to top-notch entertainment. And so we brought in, that model was really importing all of our talent so we had to literally fly in all, all New York talent or anywhere from the rest of the country. So good point. Flying in New York talent, it's very similar to when you run a business and you have to kind of find really good employees like programmers, marketing specialists. How did you convince these New York actors or, you know, theater production assistants, whatnot, to help you in Aspen? Like what made them want to come to you? Part of it was the vibe we created and the culture that we created, which was very, you know, we built it upon actors who could have a long spate of 
work and in, in equity, actors equity, uh, to get your health insurance, you have to have a minimum amount of weeks. We were able to provide that minimum amount of weeks so that people could stay and do one or two shows and get their health insurance. Wow. In Aspen, Colorado, you know, we got a fleet of bikes. We made it sort of a mind, body, spirit is, is the vibe nice. there. And so we really appealed to that vibe. So it was like a change of pace. Like, hey, you want to get away from the city life and the chaos and the pollution, come out to Aspen where you have bikes and nice weather and mountains. And They're in fancy condos. Yeah. We called it the Fresh Air Fund for actors. And, and it was, you know, we really <laughs> spent a lot of energy on creating memorable summers so that people, you know, I mean, I still see people that, that said that was one of the best summers in my life. And that's what we were trying to create. Cause it's not like we were paying them exorbitantly because we just right. didn't have that kind of money. That sounds amazing. That yeah. sounds like you did like uh, what Google did for technology you did for art. <laughs> that's pretty cool. Yeah. Let's go back in time a little bit to when you first started out as an actress, right? The first thing is, how did you know you wanted to be an actress? How did you get into acting? Because it's very difficult. There's a lot of competition and you have to kind of differentiate yourself from other actresses. So when did you first know you wanted to be an actress and how did you actually get into the acting field? I started as a dancer when I was four. And I pretty much knew by the time I was eight that I wanted to dance on Broadway. That was my goal as a little girl. And then uh, when I did my first play at 13 and made people laugh, I thought, aha, I can talk <laughs> and do this too. And then I started singing. And so I became that sort of triple threat nice. person. But I also loved school. And so the, the two paths that I saw were either performance or law. I was going to go into law. <laughs> and so, really? you know, much to my parents' chagrin, I chose the arts because, you know, I just had a singular mindset that that's where I was going to go. You know, I, I think I was just a gritty Jersey girl who just wouldn't take no for an answer. And you get lots of no's. Can you talk about that a little bit? Because everybody gets a lot of no's and there are very few yeses in life, especially when it's something that's your passion or a new business that you started or a line of work you want to start. You're going to just get rejected. How did you get through that? What was the thing that you finally broke through? What was that moment where you said, I finally made it? How did you get there? Wow. There's, this, there's some of the, so many of those sort of seminal moments and some of them are small and some of them are, some of them are big. Um, Give me an example of one and the other. Yeah. yeah. I think, you know, I got a, I got a free ride to NYU, which to me said, okay, somebody thinks you're, you're good. And I hated it. I hated it so much. Why? It was, it was a terrible, it was back in the day when Tisch School of the Arts was not very good. Oh. And it felt like a bunch of pretentious posers walking around. And I was like, this oh, is not the no. I want, you know, it, just, it was not for me. Unfortunately, I got a job the second day of my second semester, and I was shooting a movie with Tom Cruise. Oh, wow. And like, boom. So there you go. But I've, I've had a lot of moments where I had, where, where luck came to me, but I think it was because of something I had done to prepare for it, i.e. I was a cheerleader and that turned out to be something that they needed or all of, all of the work I did. I was always obsessed by business, for instance. And, and so when I got involved with the union and ended up negotiating contracts, the producers, you know, the opposition right. asked me to help produce an event because they said, you know, you seem to speak both languages really well. And so all of the ancillary curiosity I had about other things other than acting served me in a larger way. And so now you're, you're bringing up a great, like, these are great points because this is the kind of stuff I try to tell people when you want to learn how to run a business, you have to learn the marketing of the business. You have to learn how to manage the programmers of the business or the, the, you know, the front end employees, you know, you have to learn every facet of the business. And a lot of people don't want to do that. They want to just do the one thing that they like to do. And it sounds like you 
got experience in a lot of different fields that all came together. And it sounds like also the right place at the right time, because if you hadn't been there and they had somebody else, or if you didn't know how to do the business stuff, they would have gotten somebody from the outside. So it sounds like a lot of the right place, right time, but also learning outside of your comfort zone in some ways. Is that, is that kind of? Yeah. I mean, I was always haunted by a phrase that my mom said when I was about 14. And she said, I'm just so worried that you're going to be a jack of all trades and a master of none. And I have fashioned a career on doing just that. And so I talk to young people all the time. I'm highly involved in, in mentorship programs, largely because I really didn't have a mentor. And so I think that's why I went to all those places to learn because I didn't have a guiding force. You know, my parents were not, they were, you know, very blue collar New Jersey family. They didn't know from the arts. They let me do it and they, they made it happen, but no one could tell me what, how to make those decisions. And so I developed my own decision making processes, which have served me well as an adult. Yeah. Um, but it was largely because I was just interested in so many things and I have a lot of energy. So I just learned about all the things I wanted to learn out, you know, and, and I will give my parents credit because they made me, you know, as long as I got straight A's, I could do stuff. So that was <laughs> it's always the way it is. Yeah. Get the, I liked school, so that worked out okay. It's always a good, get their good report card and then you can go do whatever you want. Yeah. <laughs> That's what they always say. It's I was fascinated by the things, you know, I would be the one backstage saying, what did that cost to build? And what do you do? You know, I, I think the, the people component of it is what kept me going. You know, you asked about how how I took the nose. Yeah. I loved being among the people in theater so much that I just forged relationships in different parts of theater because I knew I could also sustain myself that way. Right. So it sounds like you're you're a huge fan of learning all the different details and nuances of a business, not so much, like I said, the one track. It sounds like, do you recommend when an entrepreneur or an artist wants to break out into a new field that they start to kind of veer off on tangents and paths and like learning other pieces of the business or should they just stick with the craft? And, you know, I know you're biased, but what's the better way to do it? Do you think? I think that developing the muscle to, to learn about yourself and what energizes you at an earlier age would be really helpful to young artists, especially because we get programmed and they, they ask kids so early now to specialize. And I think that doesn't serve them because you're not a human yet, really. Right. Like, you don't know what you respond to. You don't know really where your passion lies. Many times it's programmed into you by external forces. And so you don't learn to listen to yourself. And when I learned to listen, not only to the business, because there are actors that just won't get feedback from the business that is encouraging, and you should listen to that. But there are, are people that do it and they're also good at it, but it's lacking joy. And once I started to listen to the industry, you know, whenever I would spearhead something or produce something, even if I was an actor in a cast and I would produce a cabaret, the world immediately spoke to me and people looked up to me as a, as a person that could make things happen for them. And I started listening to that and thinking, I'm getting much more traction from the world when I call myself a producer than as an actor. And I would hear things like, you're too smart to be an actor, which offended me. No. <laughs> I can imagine. <laughs> That's got to be frustrating. But then I, then I sort of thought, okay, well, maybe, maybe they're trying to tell me something different, just uh, expressing. It was a good thing. They just said it the wrong way. Yeah. <laughs> like, it's beneath you to be an actor is yeah. kind of what they made it sound like. But. Kind of. <laughs> but I, I often talk to young people now about the myriad jobs that are available to people who, who are passionate about the arts. Because you can be in them, but maybe not in the way you initially, you know, almost everyone gets drawn in wanting to be a star or an actor. Of course. but They see what they see in Hollywood. They see the movies, the you know, the tabloids, and they think that they can be like that. But out of the 
1,000 paid actors out there, there are probably 10 million starving artists that can't get an audition because it's very difficult. They ha- and they have to understand that. And it's, it's hard to get it through people's heads. Nowadays, kids, millennials, especially I see, they want the easy way out. You know, they live in their parents' basement. They drive Ubers. They don't own anything, you know, and they just want to find those quick little jobs here and there. And they're not really passionate about one particular thing. Sometimes they are. So what would be the advice you could give to, you mentioned kids earlier and how you don't want to just put them into like a one track and say, hey, this is what you're going to learn. And only this is what seems what schools do. What would you suggest to say parents or kids out there? how they could kind of break out of that mold and say, here's a new way of doing things. Here's what I would recommend you do to really find out what you're passionate about. I kind of have two answers because for the, for those that are really geared toward being sure they want to be in this profession that are in the conservatories, to them I say read the newspaper. You know, those worlds can be such a bubble and you might come out with a, a great talent, but without an awareness of what's going on in the world and an empathy for the, the world itself, I find that that is a very narrow land and that doesn't make entirely for a very interesting person. And I think that those programs could do better at creating citizens because I, I just believe artists have more to give if they uh, have an awareness of the world. And for those that are sort of the, taking the scrappy route, <laughs> like I ended up doing, I think it's just about trying everything and being nice to everyone and really trying to to note that internal thing you feel when you're in your happy place or when you feel like, oh, I'm among my people or people are responding to me um, because it's not always going to be about the thing you want it to be about or think that you're supposed to do. That that should thing is really terrible when you're trying to be an artist. Um, right. Things just pop up out of nowhere and you're like, oh, wait a minute, I'm actually good at this and people enjoy what I'm doing. So maybe I should look into this a little more. Yeah. And I truly believe that for both of those paths, just say yes to everything. Say yes to everything. So give, what do you, give me some examples. What do you mean by that? So there's been jobs that I've been offered and I think, oh, gosh, this is either this is a repeat of something I've done before, but there's that cool person I've always wanted to work with. And I, I always thought that saying yes gets you to the place of just being in a more educated place. So you might learn that you don't ever need to do that again, but you only learned it because you went through it, but it may take you on another tangent that you didn't expect. And if you say no, you cut off that experience from being possible. You didn't learn that other thing that you could have known that would help you in another situation. Yeah. And just the spirit of saying yes, it just renews that sort of all right, I'm going on, I'm jumping off this cliff now. And I love that feeling. That's, that's probably why. It's Uncertainty. That uncertain- just not knowing what's going to happen next. Yeah, it's fun, right? Call it wanderlust. I just call it, it's time to jump off another cliff. That's a good, that's a good thing. So you want, you want people to not jump off real cliffs, but you know, the metaphorical cliff of take a chance, take a leap of faith, try something new and say yes to opportunities that come their way. Yeah. Especially if they scare you. Ooh, scary. Adrenaline rush, I would think, for me. Yeah, or, you know, so often, I mean, to be honest, so many actors feel, I mean, we feel like frauds sometimes, like, oh, somebody's going somebody's gonna to bust me. They're going to figure out I don't know something or I can't do something. And it's just sort of built into the, the, the culture of you get no so many times that, well, do they know more than I know about my abilities? Um, right. But so that's why, like, if it scares you, you should do it. You should do it. I like that. So we're at the the last part of my paragraph here that talks about. So during all these journeys and all of these different things that you did, because, you know, you've really went in a lot of different directions. What were some of the pivotal moments where you wish later on in hindsight that you said to yourself, "Ah, if only I had known this was going to happen, I could have done something differently to change the outcome. 
Do you have any of those moments that you went through that you could help someone now by telling them, if this happens to you, do this instead, or if this starts to happen, change your way now, or things like that that might have popped up in your career? You know, I don't have a ton of regrets. It's not so much a regret because, you know, I don't regret much either, but it's, you know, for example, like let's say you took an audition for a role at a theater and you didn't like the director or the producer. Okay. I'm just giving, I'm giving a hypothetical and, but you still took, you did the yes. You still took the yes, but you didn't like them, but you said, I'm going to do it anyway. And then it ended up being a horrible production. Nobody showed up. It lost money and you were out of work and you were on the street. So that's an example of something that where you could have said, if you don't like the director or the producer, definitely don't say yes. I'm give, I don't know. Maybe you do say yes. I don't know. I'm just saying maybe there's an example out there for something that you can help another artist because a lot of artists don't have, like you said, they don't have guidance. They don't have mentors. They don't have help. So here's a chance for you to be a mentor to, you know, thousands or hundreds of thousands of artists. I think it would be staying in Los Angeles too long. I had not wanted, I had not set out to be a film actor or a TV actor. And I found myself out there um, slowly sort of shrinking. My being started shrinking because not only was I sticking around and hoping for these jobs that were actually not meaningful, (sighs) I just stayed too long at the fair. How long was that? I stayed there about three and a half, four years. And how long would you have stayed for? I think I should have stayed maybe 18 months. About a year and a half. Yeah. Once I started doing a couple of those jobs that were, you know, that you fight for and you feel like you're winning and you're, then you get two terrible lines on a terrible TV show. That did not advance my, my soul as an artist or my bank account. It was certainly fun, but I, I, got, I got off track, I think, and I didn't recognize it soon enough. So how could you translate that into uh, other artists? So are you saying that if they're not getting what they want out of the the jobs they're getting or the the path they took if they if if after 18 months roughly they're not seeing something happen that they should maybe change their path? It really depends. You know, in theater, the sort of unspoken timeline for when you get your first Broadway show, it's probably shorter now cuz the conservatories are kicking out a lot of talent. But it used to be 10 years. It used to be 10 years was the sweet spot between when you got out of college, did your regional theater gigs and all the little things that were going to make you have a a reputation. It took 10 years to get on Broadway. So I sometimes tell actors that, you know, you better be prepared to to do a lot of stuff and to support yourself and find, find meaningful support systems until you can get that far. But in, I think the reason I say I should have pivoted earlier is because I knew I didn't trust my instincts. And so that's a a lesson I've learned over and over and over again. And now my decision-making process is so much, so fast because I have a really good instinct and I finally acknowledged it. And even though it makes you have to make some difficult decisions, both for yourself and for others, that instinct is built upon your, your real experience and you've done it. So that sounds like uh, one of the lessons here is to trust your instincts because maybe people, at least in my experience, people might be scared to because just because they think that it's the right move they're not sure if it's the right move. And so they start asking people and then people tell them, well, no, you shouldn't do that. Or yes, you should. And then they're conflicted. So it sounds like you're saying you should trust your instincts and just go with it. And worst case scenario, you make a mistake and then you learn from it, right? Speaking of which, if you had made any mistakes in your career, what were they and how would you have avoided them in hindsight? I think some of the gut checks I didn't follow were about people, people that I asked to manage me. Like an example of one of those? I had a manager who convinced me to turn down a big soap opera, for instance, when I think it was 19 and I got offered 
you know, $70,000 as a 19-year-old. Huge. Um, yeah. Huge. But he had bigger dreams and I, I bought them even though, like I said, I didn't set out to, to be on TV, but I did get this offer and I probably could have learned a lot, but I opted to say no to that for no <sighs> other reason than for the prospect of other bigger jobs. He was oh. worried about a soap opera. Stifling your career. Stifling my career, not being the right kind of work. And that was one of the biggest regrets. Certainly my family hasn't forgotten it. Oh, uh, no. <laughs> I'm sure they never let you let that down. Self-sustaining. Because uh, yeah. you never know what kind of opportunities that could have brought you. There are stories of other celebrities that have become famous out of soap operas. Yeah. Yeah. So it could have happened. But, you know, look, you chose the right path for you, and it looked like it worked out because you have had a great long career. So, I mean, you know, I turned down a job at Google, okay, years ago, and I feel like it was one of the best decisions I ever made. Sure, I didn't make the couple hundred thousand dollars a year you make there, and I didn't have the Google on my resume, but I was able to make movies and, and write books and teach at universities. To me, it's more meaningful to do that than sitting at a desk working on the next Android platform. So, you know, I think, you know, it's very similar to what you're saying. And just because you didn't get that one golden ticket, you had maybe three or four other golden tickets that came your way, it sounds like. So that's what I want to tell our listeners as well. What you should also I'll tell them is, you know, just because you didn't get the one thing that you thought was going to be the, the end all be all, there's going to be a lot of other opportunities out there. And it sounds like you, you had the same thing happen. So let's leave our listeners with some words of wisdom. What are some of the, you know, some of the things that you stay true to? Some of the, your, your, like your list of things that you think about every day, your mantras, your, just the things that are true to your, your passion and your soul and your heart and everything that you try to tell artists out there on their journeys. For me, I draw energy, strength, and wisdom simply from being accessible to people. I've also learned that probably Google wouldn't be the place for me because I like smaller environments where I can have more meaningful impact on maybe on fewer people, but that is very meaningful to me to mentor people and to, to open my doors to anyone who wants to talk. And when I talk to people, I try to, in any situation, even as some of the superficial situations I find myself in as a fundraiser or as a, as a leader to make sure that that person thinks that they are, they have all my attention. Because I find that the most meaningful exchanges and the most surprising exchanges arise from situations where you really give a human being all the focus that you have. And that is how I feel I have been also seen and heard. And I really just try to honor all the time I spend with people and make it as meaningful as possible. It's a little thing, but... Well, it sounds like a pretty big thing to me. I mean, human attention, that's very important. Everyone hates when you're talking to someone and they're not even listening to you. So, I mean, that's the worst, especially when they start deflecting and just talking about themselves instead of actually listening to the person and helping them. It's tough. I got to be honest with you. It's a, it's a very hard thing to do to not be selfish and to not want to talk about yourself. So it sounds like what you're saying is when you're talking to other humans listen to what they're saying and and see how you can maybe help them in a way or give them advice or suggestions instead of just immediately talking about yourself. Yeah. I think one of the things my mother imbued me with was a real sense of empathy for people. And oftentimes, especially people that have a beef with you, it's not always about that one thing. And, and so you can get more from that exchange and perhaps give that person something that they were lacking or not understanding just simply by listening to them more carefully. And I also learned those skills as an actor to watch body language, to watch how people respond to you. There's lots of really interesting stories that come at you if you're willing to look at them. And it's often much more interesting than anything you have to say about yourself. Yeah. 
That's true. They, they say the best way to get to know someone is to just listen to them. Mm-hmm. So any other words of wisdom you might want to impart to entrepreneurs or artists? I think be flexible and be fast. I'm just fast because now I trust my instincts a lot more. But I think that torturing yourself over a decision, I think you know, you know. And so I, I do the live in it kind of decision-making mode where I go, okay, this is where I'm going. And I'll live in that and see what my emotions feel like and see what my gut feels like. And I play out the next steps for what I'll have to do to get to close that deal. And then I'll do it the other way. And then I'll decide not to do it or to do this other thing. And then, and usually I immediately just, my body tells me which is the right decision. So it's fun to just live in the two worlds of the two choices and just see what my body tells me. So awesome. I like it. Yeah. That yeah. sounds great. It's it's definitely empowering. It sounds like people should listen to these words of wisdom, right? They should listen. Listen to your body. Listen to your instincts. Listen to your passion. Listen to your heart. And just do what you think is the right move. Don't listen to other people. You know, listen to people who are experienced, but you should still make the decisions quickly, it sounds like. Don't waste a lot of time pondering. Yeah. Just where, where does your energy come from? Your body will tell you immediately. And, you know, then prepare your ass off. Right. <laughs> Speaking of which, all the hard work pays off eventually, right? And what's the latest? What What's going on in the theater company today? What, what do you have planned for the next calendar year or anything we, exciting? Um, we've come a really long way. In the, in the turnaround, we're right at that hump, hump stage. And so we've retired debt. We've reorganized the staff. We have gotten a new, new leadership. We're, we're really in the uh, – we've cleaned up the house and now we're uh, in the visioning phase for the for the Ooh, future, which is really interesting. Exciting. Yeah, it's fun. Yeah, and I think now I got to get them on my on my train. It's, <laughs> it's ambitious for the theater, but you know I don't know that any of my board will be listening to this podcast. But you know I, I take it the tack of you know what you built this theater, and so you started the vision, and so let's finish it because this was a big endeavor to to build this building, and it means things had to change. And I, I'm not sure the vision for that was actually laid out. And, you know, hope is not a plan. So I, I want to actually articulate. See so it come into fruition. Mm-hmm. And do are there any shows coming up or? Yeah. So next season we, you know, the first year I came in, I canceled the season and that's just not done. Right. That is just not done. So it was, it was fun to just take a minute and recalibrate. And this first year was a sort of a flight of theater, if you were, if you will, just to sort of see what people wanted to see. And next year, we've got a big star coming in and B.B. Newworth is going to open our season and she's a bona fide wow. theatrical star. Yeah. That's and awesome. Been on stage in seven years and, wow. and, you know, I was her tour manager about a decade ago. So, you know, that stuff see? comes, comes back. Yeah. So. Different. Yeah, she's doing me a solid. That's cool. Yeah. And what are the uh, socials, like a website, social media that you might be posting stuff for people we're to check out? We're on Facebook, Instagram, tweet. I, I, I tweet. We do a little Twitter. There's um, some good videos people can check out and yep, stuff like that. Yep. We have a YouTube channel. We're getting better on social. If anybody, uh, if there's any social media entrepreneur intern types out there, we, we pay our interns. But there you go. we're certainly looking for uh, a monster social media and how would they go about getting in touch with the go to our website? You can literally click through to my email. PhiladelphiaTheater.org? PhiladelphiaTheaterCo.org. PhiladelphiaTheaterCo.org. Cool. Okay, awesome. Yeah. Well, this was a great episode. Thank you so much for speaking about your long journey. And it sounds like you've had a lot of fun and you've learned a lot. Now, hopefully, others can learn from your uh, amazing uh, accomplishments. So thanks again for having me. Thanks for the talk. Appreciate it. I hope you learned something in today's episode. If you did, please share it with your friends. If you have a business idea you'd like to pitch to me, you can do so on my website, jasonsherman.org. 
Don't forget to pick up a copy of my book, also called Strap On Your Boots, available on Amazon and anywhere books are sold. And if you want to dive even deeper into the world of entrepreneurship, I suggest you sign up for my course called Startup Essentials on Udemy.com. I really do appreciate your support if you decide to donate via PayPal, and I hope you tune in to my next episode.